If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up. Um, though I will warn you, I'm going to be going lots of different places today. And uh, so this is day eight. Oh, and if, by the way, if you would have, uh, if you would like sermon notes, uh, in, in 40 days in the Word, you're going to want to keep notes. So if you don't have one, that's the blue sheet. The ushers have them here. Uh, raise your hand, and they'll provide them for you. There's at least one up here, a couple up front. Last Sunday, we saw uh, seven reasons why we can trust the Bible as our launch into 40 days in the Word. And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go on the website. Uh, at lifespringfs.com, and you can uh, listen to that through the podcast, uh, Seven Reasons Why We Can Trust the Bible. This morning we're asking the question, how the Bible changes us? How is it that the Bible changes us? You know, there's a lot of good books. I love, uh, my favorite author is a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, The Voyage of the Dawn, Treader of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Read those many times, absolutely love them. Uh, I love some novels. I like uh, fun novels like... Um, uh, the Dirk Pitt series by Clive Cussler. Just great stuff to take on vacation. I absolutely love it. Um, but I've noticed that after, like, you know, like movies, uh, a good book, when I'm done with it, if I know the ending, I don't wake up the next morning and say, oh, I want to read that again. I mean, maybe a couple of years later, I might, when I've forgotten how it goes. <laughs> but it doesn't, but you know, I've learned this something about the Bible is that I cannot wait to get up in the morning and read God's Word. And you may think, oh, that's because you're a pastor and they pay you to do that. No, no, you, you couldn't pay me to do that. I mean, really, I would do it. I do it for free because I love it. And I know many of you do as well. And it's it's why is that? Why does that book so speak to us? And I've noticed that I can read one chapter in a, ver, in, in, a, in, a in a book of the Bible and maybe have read it many, many times before. And then that one day, it seems like I've never seen it before. It's like completely fresh and new because the Lord is speaking something to my heart. And it's something amazingly dynamic. Why is that? There's a reason we call it the Holy Bible, because it is unique. It's set apart. And it has supernatural power to change things in people's lives. Why? Well, simply because it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And the Bible is unlike any other book because God's voice is like any other voice. Did you know that His voice is so powerful that it was His voice that spoke creation into existence? We look in Genesis. It says, God said, let there be light. He spoke it out. And you've heard of the Big Bang Theory, right? I believe in the Big Bang Theory. I say God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. I mean, God spoke it. I would imagine His voice was quite loud. And if you were there to hear it, it would have sounded like a bang. Psalm 33 and verse 6 should be on the screen here. It says this, The Lord merely spoke the heavens, and they were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. And that's power. That's power. But did you know that God's creative power didn't stop at Genesis? Didn't stop at creation? You know how I know that? Because he still speaks. And when God speaks to you, his power is available to you through his word. John 6 and verse 63, Jesus said this, The words I have spoken to you 
are spirit and they are life. You see, God's word, do you see this? God's words are alive. They're active. In Hebrews 4, uh, 12, the, the writer says this. He says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He says that the Bible, God's word is living and active, living and active. That word living there is the word zao in Greek, which is where we, by the way, we get the, the, the girl's name Zoe. It means life, living. And it says active. That's the Greek word energos, which is uh, where we get the word energy. God's word is alive and energized. He says it's sharp like a, a, skyly, a highly skilled surgeon's scalpel that just cuts right to the heart of the issue. You ever read scripture and you go, oh, Oh, especially when you read the parables of Jesus and then he gives you the punchline at the end. And it's like, really, Jesus? And he just sort of smacks it and you go, I get it. Other, other books are filled with good information. I love to read lots of good information. But the power of God, the power of God's word isn't just to inform. It's the power of to transform. Not to inform us, but to transform us. That's the difference between this and a novel. Well, one of the many. <laughs> and so this is the note that we're looking at. That the Word of God has the power to change us. The Word of God has the power to change you. You think about it. Have you? Can you think of anything in your life that needs some work? Can you think of anything you'd like to change about yourself? I mean, we've got lists, right? If you don't have a list and you're married, your spouse has a big, long list. <laughs> but if you think about it, and then if you think about the things we want to change, and then we think about the things that we've tried to change, and it gets frustrating, doesn't it? It's like, why, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? But God's Word has the power to change us. How? How is it going to happen? We're going to look in the next few minutes at seven ways. And before we do that, I just want to ask the Lord's blessing before we go. Lord, thanks for your word. Would you open it to us? Lord, I pray for those of us this morning who have had a long time experience with your word, that we would, it would come alive and be fresh to us. Lord, I pray for the, the skeptic here this morning who might think, ah, it's just a book that maybe once again would, would, would honestly come back and, and look at maybe what you've been trying to speak and take a fresh look. And Lord, would you speak to each one of us this morning? about what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, number one. You got notes and a pen? Seven ways God's living word changes us. Number one, it recreates my life. It recreates my life. James 1.18 says this. It says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. This is what Jesus calls being born again. And in that transaction, the, the, the spiritually dead become spiritually alive. And this is not just a, a metaphor. This is a reality. And I look around the room and I know people who have a past. We all have a past, right? And we all have a present, but we all have a future. And I like to say who I am is not who I was and who I am is not who I'm going to be. Because I'm in process with God and I, He is alive in me and He is changing me constantly. As long 
as I am following his voice and being led by his word. Paul told Timothy this. He said, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That the word itself is the way that we hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And when we hear about that amazing grace and how the chains can fall off. And that's why we get baptized. In Scripture, you've probably known this. There is a, a, a metaphor frequently used to refer to God's word. It's constantly referred to as a seed that is planted. This is all over scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. First Peter chapter one and verse 23, he writes, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. James one verse 21 says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You see, when the word of God is planted in your heart, and if your heart is receptive, if your heart is fertile soil, then God's word, it sprouts and it grows and it produces fruit. A few years ago, my mother-in-law gave me a, 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 a clematis plant, which is a, a little bush that, you know, it was small when I got it. And you, you put it in the ground and it, you put it on a trellis and it makes all these beautiful flowers. Well, first year it was kind of nice, you know, had flowers on it. And the next year... The dog dug it up. I mean, dug it out of the ground. And I didn't know this until early in the winter. And I was, because I don't look at the yard. Who, how many of us look at the yard in the winter? I mean, come on. It's ugly. It's wet and gooey. And I look at it. And then finally, I was walking out there and I see this. All, he's chewed off all of the branches. All there's left is this little mound of what used to be roots. Right? It's just, it's about maybe the size of a baseball. And that's, that's all that's left. And I'm like, oh, well, forget it. So winter goes. I just let it sitting there. Winter goes. And uh, all of a sudden, in spring, it sprouts. And life comes up out of it. And then flowers. And it was bigger and better than the, the, the previous year. And then this winter, the dog dug it up again. Yeah, worse than before. And it's. I looked out, and we had that whole snowstorm and everything. And there's like hardly any dirt left around it it's like half gone it was all just chewed up and as soon as the weather started getting nice i looked out and i noticed oh my goodness i can't kill that thing it's growing and i bet that this year it's going to be bigger than last year and i kept thinking what is the deal well two things are happening with this thing one is that that the harsh (laughs) the harsh circumstances that it's going through are making it stronger number one but then i got to thinking well that can't just be it because there's hardly any soil around it. But you know what the deal is? I, th- I remembered something. The soil that around it is really good stuff. And it was just sitting on top of this. I went to the store and I, or to the Tacoma thingy jigger when they got that Tagro stuff, this mulch. And I just sort of just dumped it all over the flower beds. And so it was laying on all this incredibly healthy mulch. And so even though it was uprooted and chewed apart and it was sitting in incredibly good soil. And so as soon as the spring came, bang, life happens. And that's the deal. We need to ask ourselves, is my heart fertile soil? Because God's word is going to come and be planted and it wants to take root and it will take root and it will grow and produce fruit. But the question we need to ask is, is my heart a place that's welcoming to God's seed, God's word, the seed of God's word? 
And so we see this. The first way that God's word changes me is that, number one, it recreates me. Even if I go through that harsh winter, even if I go through that, that bad season, when it's come and it's taken root, it's alive and it's going to continue to grow. The number, number two thing here is that it, 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 it eradicates guilt. It eradicates guilt. You see, as a pastor, when I have folks come to me, sometimes they're saddled with guilt and shame and they will talk to me and say, Pastor, you don't understand. I did this and then I did that and I hurt this person and then I hurt that person and I'm addicted to this and I've been in jail for this and I've done that and all that. And I'm just kind of nodding and nodding and I'm nodding. I'm like, I get it. And then they say, I'm so guilty. I feel so ashamed. And then I want to take them to Scripture. Two of my favorites you hear me quote frequently. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a cleansing verse. And it's as if to say to that person, you know what? All that stuff that you're going through, that you're wallowing in, Jesus has paid for it all. He's taken it on himself. And he's just asking us to confess, which means to say the same thing about our sin that God does, which is it sucks. <laughs> it's bad. And, and we agree with it. And it was like, yep, that's me, God. I'm a mess. And it says that he comes and he cleanses us. You see, God's word's like soap. It disinfects. I think a lot of us just sometimes need to just go take a big, long soaking bath in the soap suds of God's word. Romans 8, 1 says there's now no condemnation. That means, by the way, when it says no condemnation, it means zero, nada, yet, none. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, if you believe God's word, that Jesus died for you, that he is your savior, and you, you tell God, I'm sorry for my sin, for the things that I've done that I know are wrong. Then here's what. You've, you've just confessed your sin. You're cleansed. And God doesn't condemn you. you see, God isn't going to punish you for your sin because you know what? Jesus took the punishment that you deserve. And so he comes and that liberates our guilt. So when people come to me, they have their backpacks full of rocks like guilt and they're just weighted down. And when people begin to realize what Christ has already done for them and just begin to receive what he's already done, it's like the backpack comes off and the rocks start coming out. And it's lighter. And life is just lighter. And I'm not walking through this life with, oh, I'm just this worm and I'm just messing up. It doesn't mean we're perfect. What it means, it means we're forgiven. It means we're, we're free. We're set free. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 3, he said, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This word of God is powerful. And, and people, I just want to encourage you, if, if you're feeling guilt and shame and, and, and that kind of stuff, you need to come and soap up with God's word and you need to receive it and get cleansed because what why why would you hold on to that stuff uh, do you feel the need to punish yourself for something that God doesn't punish you for what's that all about you, you see when you do that you're trying to play God and God's saying forget that stuff you're punishing yourself isn't going to impress me at all because you know what? I made the, the incre most incredible sacrifice ever by sending my son to die for you. Either accept it or don't. But don't do any of this wallowing in shame and pity. Try to punish yourself so that you look bad enough that you think I'm going to be impressed. He, he, he's, he's not that easily bought. 
Yeah, the price was very high, but he paid it himself for you. And you don't have to. So let's be free. Let's live free. God's word eradicates my guilt. And number three, it activates my faith. Activates my faith. You know, it, this is, it gives me confidence. You know, I've discovered that most people aren't very courageous. We want to be, but most of us aren't very confident. Inside, I think there's always a little terrified boy or girl, you know, in a grown-up body. And we're sometimes holding on by a thread, worried about the economy and our family and our relationships and our work and, and just wonder if it's all going to come apart someday. But you know what? People who marinate in God's Word develop something. They develop an active faith that has the courage to step out. doesn't mean they're problem-free people. It means that they're courageous people because they understand what God is doing. In the winter of 2012, or 2010, excuse me, I was um, wrestling with some things, and I was wanting to make some changes here at church and lead us in some new directions. And they were, they were big things, and, and, and they were exciting things, but they were different things. And what every pastor will tell you is that when, when a leader steps out and, and starts making changes, half the group really likes it, and the other half really doesn't. <laughs> and so and in leadership, one of the things that's, that's terrifying is that when you step out front, you wonder, is anyone following you? And if they are, are they loaded weapons and they're going to shoot you in the back? You know, or, or are they are they coming with you? Are they are they on are they on this trip with you? And and it seems like whenever I need courage, I end up somehow in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Love the story of Joshua, particularly when Moses is handing when we see Moses has died and and the the mantle of leadership is being passed to this this new younger leader named Joshua. And God has told him to be courageous, and he's, he's told, he made all these promises to Joshua. And then, and then there's this interesting little ceremony where he talks to the people, and there's this covenant that, that he makes, or that they make with Joshua. And as a young leader, and this is what they, they say to Joshua. Joshua, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. That's kind of terrifying, because they really didn't obey Moses much. Um, but he says, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. And then I got to thinking as I'm sitting there in my, my time in the word, I'm thinking, oh God, that's what I need. I just need you to tell those church people to obey me and we'll, everything will be fine. If you do what you did for Joshua, I'm in no problem. God irritates me sometimes because he took me to the second half of this verse because Here's what else they said. There was a condition to their leadership. It said, only may the Lord your God be with you, Joshua, as he was with Moses. Oh, well, that sucks for me. That means I got work to do. You see, God was saying, you know what, Chad, the smart ones, they're going to follow you as long as you are following me. And you know what? This gave me incredible courage. Why? Because I realized that I didn't need to be concerned about who was following me. I just need to be concerned with who was leading me. That gave me incredible courage. I don't have to worry about getting shot in the back because pff, if I did, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and you know when God spoke that to me? It was, a, it was a time when I opened the Word. It was in the morning. I was doing my life journal. I was just having some time with the Lord. And, and it's like He just gave me what I needed right then. You see, Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. See, what this verse is saying is that, that faith is word activated. 
You ever been in a, in a sermon like this or a church service or maybe you heard something on the radio or someone was talking and, and they were talking about God's word and, and you sat there and he's like, man, I feel so, yeah, I can do that. That's me. Yeah, God, I'm going to go. I th- there's some people here today that are, gonna, are courageous. They heard me talk about baptism and, and the promises of baptism and the command to be baptized. And, and they're like, that's me. I'm going to be courageous and get dunked for Jesus in front of people I don't even know. Uh, that takes courage, don't you think? Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. Faith is word activated. God's word stimulates my faith, gives me confidence. And number four, it stimulates my growth. Stimulates my growth. Acts 20 and verse 32. says, I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Some church words in there, Bible words, but one of them, I, two of them I just want to park on for a minute. One, he says, God's word is going to build you and, and, and there's an inheritance involved. What is he talking about? Well, an inheritance is when you get all that rightly belongs to you as a child of God. Consider this, for example, if you, your father was Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? And what if he died, had a will, but you never took the time to read the will? Bill Gates, your father, and you never read the will. If you never did that, that would be called dumb. I think someone said stupid. Yeah, that's what it would be. Because you're not going to be getting what is rightfully yours. You'd you'd not be benefiting from that which belonged to you as a child of Bill Gates. You'd, You'd not be able to enjoy the blessings of the Gates family because you don't even know about your inheritance. And see, when you become a follower of Jesus, you put your life in Christ's hands. You trust him for salvation. You're not just a believer. You're a belonger. And you become part of God's family. And as a member of God's family, you have, a, you have responsibilities, but you have incredible privileges. And one of those is our inheritance that we have in Christ. It's a spiritual inheritance that we get from God. It's, and it's not just about what we have here on earth, but it's eternal in heaven as well. And by the way, did you know that God is way more rich than Bill Gates? Just a little. Just a little. That whole creating the earth thing, just, you know, it's kind of a, an advantage, I think. But what if you went through life never knowing the power, the blessing, the benefits available to you as a child of God? Because you never took time to read what he'd written for you. What if you never took the time to find out what they are? That would be called dumb. One of the best parts of our inheritance, one of the best parts, is the wisdom of Scripture. It shows us the path to an abundant, blessed, fulfilling, and purpose-filled life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be, man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that because the question is, we need to ask ourselves, do I want to be equipped for life? 
Do I want to be equipped by God for life? Because to grow into the person that God has created us to be, we need some help. And he gives us four simple things. We need teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. What is that? Well, when, the God, when God's word teaches us, what it, he's doing is that he shows us the path to walk on. Which way to go? When he re- is rebuking, it's God's word showing us how we got off the path. When we need correcting, it's how he's showing us how to get back on the path. And when we're getting training from God's words, it's how he's telling us how to stay on the path, to keep going. And you see, without God's word, you go through life untrained. You go through life untrained in God's ways. And people who live without God's word walk aimlessly through life. But as God's child, you've got to understand, that's not your inheritance. That's not your inheritance. Your inheritance is far more rich than that. God's word stimulates my growth. And number five, it illuminates my mind. God's word illuminates my mind. The other day I was going to a friend's house, and so I followed my GPS there. Actually, I was going to our 40 days in the word group at the May's house. And I heard that wonderful statement at the end of the GPS. It said, you have arrived at your destination. I've always wanted someone to tell me I'd arrived. And uh, it says, you have arrived at your destination. There's just one problem. I was parked in front of a gravel pit. And I'm thinking, you know, this, I don't think we have a 40 days group at the gravel pit. And I was lost. Because even my GPS led me to the wrong place. And I think some of us have been following a GPS that's set to the wrong directions. And you know what? When I get lost, you know what I need? I need a good set of instructions. Have you ever felt like you didn't know which way to go? You've been in a situation where it's like, man, I don't know what to do here. And that was my question in my 20s. Every day I was like, oh, Lord. This growing up thing is tough. What do I do with this? And who do I marry? And where do I go? What college? What's this and that? I'm still, to this day, you know, just asking God, where do I go when I come to this corner, when I come to this fork in the road or this dead end? You ever been in a situation and you thought, man, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do with this? You know what I did when I got, when I, <laughs> you know how I found my friend's house? This is high tech. I called and asked for directions. Really high tech. Used a phone and everything. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, Understanding your word brings light to the minds of ordinary people. I love that. I'm an ordinary people. And I need light to my mind. It doesn't say it brings light to the trained theologian. It brings light to ordinary people. Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, he says. Why? Why can he make that claim? He says, because I meditate on your statutes. I think he's saying, look, those other guys, they don't do that. I'm, I'm constantly chewing on God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't know if, by the way, a lot of these verses today are coming from Psalm 119. You know why? Because Psalm, the whole Psalm is extremely long. It's all about God's Word. It's all about God's Word. And this, 
verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Have you ever wondered, how does God's word bring light to my day? Give me direction. That phrase, lamp to my feet, actually refers to an old, in the olden days when they would have a lamp, it was kind of like a, uh, an oil lamp that had a candle and it wasn't very bright. Today, we, if we were writing this verse, we'd say, your word is like a flashlight to my feet. And so if you're carrying a flashlight and you're walking down a path on a very dark night, how do you get more light to see what's in front of you? You can shine it down there, but you know, most flashlights, you know, once you, once you point them up there, they're just not much useful at all. They don't, they're just not powerful enough. But he's saying, my word is a flashlight to your feet. And how do you see another, what's in, what's in front of you? You know how you do that? You hold the flashlight and you take one more step. And the next step is lit. That's the principle of God's word. And that's what he's saying here. But some of us, we sit there and think, man, I'll take the next step if you show me the next five miles. The next 20 years. If I marry this person, what's, what's the rest of my life going to look like? Is this going to be a big mistake? I'm not doing that unless you tell me everything in advance. And some of us have said, you know, by the way, you can say, God, I'm not going to move forward unless you show me everything right now, or at least the next 10 years, the next 10 miles, whatever. And you know what? If you do that, be prepared to wait a long time. I got to tell you something. God is way more patient than you. Way more patient than you. But if you want to have some light for your next step, here's a prayer that you need to pray. It's our memory verse for this week. Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God's word illuminates my mind. Number six. It elevates my mood. The best antidepressant isn't sold in pharmacies, but it's sold in bookstores. Need a cure for discouragement? The best prescription comes not from the pharmacy, but from God's word. Romans 15 verse 4 says everything was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the through endurance and the encouragement of scripture, we might have hope, hope. People, if you're tired, depressed, exhausted, feeling blah, I want to encourage you to do this. Turn off the stinking TV. Open God's word. Have a conversation with someone about it. Uh, even if you don't understand it, just just start reading and, and, and investigating. And it's going to be like chewing on a juicy steak. It doesn't come as, you know, in little sound bites like a commercial. You know, God requires us to pursue him. That's why it's that light. One more step. One more thing. He wants us to come that way. Hmm. One day I was complaining to a friend of mine and I said, man, I just I'm out of it. I feel stuck. I'm uh, I just kind of numb inside. I think I'm uh, I think I'm burned out. And he goes, dude. You're not burned out. And well, how do you know? He goes, no, you're not burned out. I said, well, then tell me, what's my problem? He goes, Chad, your problem is that you're empty. liar no he was absolutely on target that was absolutely right 
because I hadn't really been in the Word in that season. I really wasn't praying very much. I just was empty inside because I had been serving. I had giving out. I was exhausted spiritually, emotionally, and physically because I was empty inside. And I needed to fill up. The psalmist knew this when he wrote in uh, verse 114 of Psalm 119. He said, you're my place of quiet retreat. And I wait for your word to renew me. That's that, re- that word renewal. That's refreshing. That's exactly what I needed when that my friend told me I was empty. So God's word, when we come to it, just, it, it can change our whole attitude and perspective of life. And number seven, it liberates my potential. It liberates my potential. Understand this. Only God knows how to unlock your potential. You don't know your full potential. Your spouse doesn't know. Your boss doesn't know. Your friends don't know how to unlock your full potential. Only God knows. So you've got to spend time in God's Word if you're ever going to get out of the boxes that other people have put you in. Here is a person with limited potential. A person with limited potential is someone who does this, is, is someone who lives for the approval of others, is defined by what someone has said about them, and is controlled by guilt or shame. And if that's you, you are living in a box not created by God, but be created by other people and your own perceptions. And if you want to break free from that, you need to remember what Jesus said. In John 8 and verse 31, he said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, uh, truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? The truth will set you free. This is, this is about being liberated. We talked about that in that song earlier. My chains are gone. I've been set free to become the person God has meant me to be. That rhymes. We could add that to the song. I mean, that's what is going on here. The question for us this morning is, would you like to have your life recreated? Would you like guilt eradicated, faith activated, growth stimulated, your mind illuminated, your mood elevated, and your potential liberated? Is that you? If it is, then it's all in God's Word. That's, where we, that's why we're doing this whole thing, 40 days in the Word. And the question then ask, we need to ask is, how do I get that? How do I get those benefits of God's Word? Three simple things. And I'm going to end with these. Number one, learn it. Learn it. Mark 12 and verse 24, Jesus said this, and he said this to some Pharisees who really knew Scripture, at least mentally. They were students of the Bible. He said, your trouble is that you don't know the Scriptures. (laughs) He says, guys, religious people, you, you have a problem is you just don't know the Scriptures. And do you know what our problem is? Do you know what your problem is? You don't know Scripture. I mean, you might know some, but you don't know enough, and he wants to show you more. You see, your problem isn't your problem. Your problem is how you respond to the problem. You see, most people go through life on autopilot. You make decisions based on common sense, on the experiences that you've had, uh, maybe the experiences of others, and just kind of what comes naturally. That's how we kind of make decisions. We sort of bump our way through life. That's how most people live. But you know, there's a lot of things that come naturally that really make things worse. Think about it. When someone betrays you, offends you, hurts you, what's the first thing you do? 
Maybe it's this. If maybe, maybe what you do is when someone really is mad at you, someone really hurts you, and you're ticked off, and you're, you probably go down to the library and you check out, a, you look for books on creative ways to new insults, a list of um, good revenge techniques. Maybe you look for that yellow covered book, Revenge for Dummies. Right? Is that, is that what you do? No, we don't do that. Why? Because it just comes naturally. You're flooded with creative ideas, aren't you? Different ways to kill them, to humiliate them, you know, to, to wound them back. There's just creative metaphors that come to your mouth that you just want to say, and most of us have done. And we realize that the things that come naturally really just make things worse. You see, the best decisions are almost never the ones that come naturally. Because God's wisdom seems so unnatural to us. And in most cases, the right thing to do is usually the opposite of the natural thing to do. And how do I know what that is, that right thing? Well, again, Jesus said, your problem is you don't know scriptures. You see, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, do you know what they are? The difference between knowledge and wisdom is this. Knowledge is learning from your own mistakes, right? You know what wisdom is? Learning from other people's mistakes. In the Bible, it is filled with centuries of mistakes of people from generation to generation who have just totally messed up their lives and they have interacted with God and we get to go to school on them. We learn from their mistakes. They are our divine mentors in many ways. We get to look at what they did and why they did it and and how they got into all that trouble. The Bible is filled with dysfunctional families, bad fathers, bad mothers, bad children, <laughs> rebellious, murderers, thieves, addicts, jerks, people just like us. <laughs> I mean, come on. We, we can identify with these people and we learn. And so to gain the benefits of Scripture, I need to learn Scripture and go to school on our divine mentors. Number two, I need to accept it as my authority. I need to accept it as my authority. You see, there's things in the Bible I just don't understand. And frankly, there's things that God said that I just wish he hadn't said. I wouldn't have said it that way. And I, can, I have a choice. I can either argue with God... Good luck with that. Or I can accept what he says because, well, he's God. You know, there is such a liberating thing when we just stop wrestling with that. Some of us are spending our whole lives angry at God because we thought something we thought he said. And sometimes he didn't actually say it. So someone else said that he said it. <laughs> and so you're, you're misunderstanding something that God never said. And then sometimes there's things that God said in his Bible you just don't like. The most liberating thing is to just relax, just say, God, I'm going to trust you. And to accept God's word is to say, God, I trust you, and I'm, I'm going to make the Bible my personal guidebook for life. And I'm, I'm going to evaluate decisions not by what I say is right or what others say is right, but I'm going to evaluate life by what you have already said is right. 
I'm going to search the scriptures about how you want me to manage my money, how you want me to raise a family, how you want me to be a, a good husband or a wife, and how you want me to make investment decisions, and how you want me to live according to your purpose. First Thessalonians 2 and verse 13 says, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believed. People, some of us have been following the word of men. Some of them have sound very religious words, and some of them have sounded even biblical. And the worst lie is one that has a little biblical truth in it. And so instead of believing what other people have said that God said, crack the book. Find out what God is saying to you right now. And number three, act on it. Act on it. John thirteen seventeen. Now that you know these things, Jesus said, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says you'll be blessed how? If, if you study them, if you memorize them, if you write them in a notebook? No. He says if you do them. We're not be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That's what we're doing in our 40 days groups, the Micah 3.18 project or 3.8 project. We're going to be doers of the word. We're going to be putting these things into practice and reaching out to our community and doing specific things. And I want to encourage you this morning, maybe this has touched you in a particular way. And I want to just invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray it with me in the quiet of your heart. I don't want you to just listen to me, but if this reflects your heart this morning, to just pray this back to God as I do out loud. And it's just this. Dear God, I want your word to be my authority for life. I confess that I don't understand everything that you say, but I'm trusting that you're a lot smarter than me. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. I want my guilt eradicated. So God, would you come and clean me up? I want you to activate my faith. So through your word, will you come and fill me with courage? Lord, I, I need to grow as a person. and I need, I need you, your word to come and st stimulate my growth that I would not be stuck where I've been stuck for so long. So, Lord, would you come and stretch me would you teach me God I, I want my mind illuminated would you come and show me my next step and God when you show me that next step I promise I will take it and 
Lord, I want you to elevate my mood. I've been gloomy and depressed and tired and worried and I need your joy. Would you come and replace my anger with your joy? Would you come and replace my bitterness with forgiveness? Would you replace my fear with courage? Lord, would you come and remove my doubt and fill me with hope? And Lord, I want you to come and liberate my potential so that I could become the person you've always wanted me to be. Come help me be that person. And I'm submitting to your authority, God. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for your word. Open my eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Amen. 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 If I could have that verse go back up on screen, we're going to let's do our memory verse for this week. All right. Do we have that there? All right. We're going to we're going to look it on the screen and then we'll say it together and then we'll take it off the screen and then we'll say it together. Okay. ready. Uh, Go open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. What? He took it out. I did too too early. Put it up one more time. Is it there? All right, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Psalm 119.18. Okay, now take it off. We'll do it together. Ready? Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I had to close my eyes because I got it here. Oh, Psalm 119.18. (laughs) Forgot that part. We're going to be learning that this week. And then also, uh, we have some folks getting baptized. And uh, I'm going to have those that are uh, getting baptized just kind of make their way over here.